may be seated. What a wonderful truth. That's one of my favorite uh, lines in all of hymnody. Bold, I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. That's the only way we can do that is through Christ. Right? That we, we would be so foolish to boldly approach the throne were we doing it of our own accord, by our own strength, according to our own merit. But that's not how we approach the throne. We approach it through Christ Jesus. That's what this whole conference is about. It's about our union with Christ. And so, and so that's why we picked that song, just to kind of remind us of that fact, that, that we can, through Christ Jesus, boldly approach the throne. It's not something we have to do timid. Oh, will, will, will God accept me today? Yes, he will. In Christ Jesus, you can be sure, you can be confident, and you can boldly approach it. Because if you are trusting in Christ Jesus alone, then through your union with him, you are justified. You are righteous. That's what Ed Ed Smith's going to talk to us about here. I'm just looking forward to it. We've been friends for, oh, a number of years now. Boy, I, I don't know how many times you've been to this conference a number of times, uh, and, and we've been friends mostly through Facebook, really, is kind of where our relationship has developed, but, but it's always been a joy when we've come together uh, at these conferences, and, and I look forward to more and more in the future uh, spending time with you, and my hope is that uh, our congregation here at Calvary and your congregation might be able to experience more and more of that fellowship that we talked about earlier, just that fellowship of the body of Christ. We might find opportunities to do that, both being churches here in the same area. There's no reason for us not to spend time with one another, for we are part of one body, the body of Christ Jesus our Lord. I look forward to what you have to share with us, brother. Come forward and share with us now. Amen. To God be the glory of all the great things that he has done. Before I begin, I want to say something about that hymn that we just sang. One of the stanzas went, the second one that we just sang together, uh, myself not so much because I don't know the hymn per se, But reading the words caused me to fall in love with this hymn. The fact that the hymn reminded us in our time of worship on this morning that he left his father's throne above. So free, so infinite his grace, he emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. I don't know about you, but that stirs my soul to know of this infinite great love that our Savior has for us. Let me say thank you to Pete, first off, first and foremost. Thank you, sir, for this invitation to share both in fellowship and worship and even in the preaching of God's word on today. I want to draw your attention 
to Romans chapter 4. And while you're turning there, let me also say thank you to the Calvary Presbyterian Church for hosting this event. As Pete stated, I've been here a few times, and each time there's been a great, a tremendous fellowship uh, with, with you. And so I thank you for continually hosting. Thank God for Pete once again uh, for the invitation and to whomever works upon the staff uh, for this conference. Uh, God bless you and thank you for the invitation. Uh, let me also say before we rush off to this text, I um, want to say that it is a privilege to stand here and share uh, this pulpit with the man, Paul Edwards. I've uh, fellowshiped with Paul for a number of years as well. I used to regularly go down and attend his conference that he held bringing in Burke Parkins. Our families have shared together um, uh, in, in fellowship um, at church and not at church. So, sir, it was a, it's just an honor and a privilege uh, to share the pulpit with you and preaching in this setting uh, to, to you this morning. So thank God for you. Thank God for your family and all that you have meant in my, in, in my growing in the knowledge. Uh, even when you were on the radio program years ago, I used to make sure my dial was tuned in <laughs> uh, working in Detroit to make sure I listened to the Paul Edwards program. Amen. And when, when, when I saw that you were on the program, I had this gut feeling that you were going to be the one preaching on regeneration. And, and I just remembered our old conversation that we had about that incident that you brought up when you preached about Paul and that situation that took place. So I'm just grateful to be here and to share with all of you and to share the pulpit with you, sir. Amen. Amen. So if we could, if you had your Bibles turned to Romans chapter 4, I want to draw your attention to a few verses of Scripture and since Paul has set the standard, and we'll be reading from the King James Version, I want to read to you verses 22 through 25. And then I will also read Romans 5, verse 1. Romans chapter 4, verse 22 through 25. And then Romans chapter 5. Verse number one, the word of God reads as follows. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow for a moment of prayer. Gracious Father, Lord, we just ask now, dear Father God, that you will continue to bless our time as we seek to explore our union with Christ. Now understanding the role that regeneration plays. 
Lord, we just ask now, dear Father God, you will help us to wrap our minds around the idea of justification. And so, Father, we just ask and pray for your blessing as we walk through your word. In Jesus' name, Father, we do pray. Amen. I want to actually begin by re-emphasizing something that Calvary has shared already on today. If you are not following Calvary's Facebook page, you just ought to. Amen. You just also, because I wanted to say that because a picture they shared today reminds me of the purpose of this conference. The post was shared earlier today, and it said Christians need constant reminders of how amazingly glorious our great God really is and what his glory means for our lives. That was a quote that was shared from Jonathan Edwards on the Facebook page today. And let me say, that's what this conference always reminds me of. The amazing grace of God, his love that he has bestowed upon those who truthfully and rightfully don't deserve it. But amazingly, he shares it with us. Beloved, on today, as we look at this particular text, I was reminded of a segment on NPR. Back in August of this year, uh, NPR host Scott Simon had a lady call into the radio program. Her name was Sue Cochran. And she expressed her joy and her glee for a particular song that really was the catalyst of changing her life. She shared with Scott on the program, Sue was a judge from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and she shared with him some of the things that she experienced in her life and how she came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And she began to tell him that she had identified with the theme, with the subject that I am to deal with on this morning. Sue called into the show and they began to talk about her identity in Christ, which is based on her union with Christ. But she said that there was a particular song that really grabbed her and brought her into this understanding. At a young age, Sue, she was taught about the redeeming love of Christ, but she hadn't fully embraced Christ as Savior. She hadn't fully realized just how great and how wide that love really was, particularly because when she would go home, she would have to go home to a mother who was ill, battling cancer. She had to go home to a father who was drunken and abusive. So therefore, as she tried to comprehend this great God that we talk about, 
who, who is so loving and so graceful and so merciful. But when she went home, she had to deal with that life. Eventually, she gave up. Eventually, she turned away from the redeeming love of our Savior, and she began to be just like the very person she said that she was set out not to be. And that was a drunken, just like her father. But through the prayers of her family, they, they, they hoped that she would return to this God. She, they, they, they hoped that she would come out of her sins and come to the realization that Christ would receive her. He, he would redeem her. He would buy her off of that slave market of sin that drunkenness had drawn her down if she would put her faith and trust in him. But of course, in her sin, she rejected it. But one day, in, in the constant prayers from her family, one day, her, her brother came to her and asked her to watch a simple documentary. And this drew her attention. The documentary was called Say Amen, Somebody. And Paul, I can tell because I was back home over at Evergreen Baptist Church, and I said, say amen, somebody. Everybody would have said amen. <laughs> but this documentary called Say Amen, Somebody had this kind of theme song that ran through the documentary that I want to say that God used to arrest her heart, mind, and soul to bring her back unto herself. And it is this uh, song that was rendered back in the early 80s by two men born in, the, in 1937 in St. Louis, Missouri. I'm guessing they were Cardinal fans. But these two men, the O'Neill twins, they, they created this song and released it about the amazing love of God. And I want to share a few lyrics with you before I get to the text. The lyrics of this song go something like this. I was guilty of all the charges, doomed and disgraced, but Jesus, with his special love, Saved me by his grace. He pleaded and he pleaded. He pleaded my case. Jesus dropped the charges. Now I am saved through grace by faith. They go on to say that I was guilty for so long. Lived in sin for way too long. But Jesus, this special love that he offers and that he gives to those who really and rightfully do not deserve it. This special love reached out with his arms so strong. He picked me up, he turned me around, and he gave me a brand new song to sing. Beloved, that's what justification is and does. I don't know about you, I don't know if that's your gospel flavor uh, of song to listen to. But if you notice, it rightfully does communicate this idea of our justification in our union with Christ. And, and, and although uh, not specifically stated within the song, 
but yet it's richly steeped in the scriptures. For it said that Jesus pleaded their case. And is it not the Apostle John who wrote in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Beloved, this, this ideal of justification in this simple documentary, as this song played, began to arrest her heart, mind, and soul. And she was able to finally accept this redeeming love. It was the Spirit of God through all those instances, the Spirit of God working through all of those circumstances in her life. And he redeems her. Or if I can put it in the phrase of our previous uh, sermon that we just heard, he regenerates her. And that is what I want to talk about to you today. I want to talk to you about our justification that we have in our union with Christ. Because if we rightfully understand justification, if we rightly understand the work of the Spirit of God and the various means of grace by which he works in removing the scales of sin off of our eyes, opening our blinded eyes, unstopping our deaf ears, that the gospel will penetrate our souls, giving us a spiritual renewal that our hearts that was made of stone be taken and transformed and we be given hearts of flesh. This is the miracle, if you will, of regeneration. And it's in within that miracle of regeneration we rightly are declared justified in Christ Jesus. The message in this song was brought to this broken woman to give her hope, to let her know that although things seem to be hopeless, she could place her hope in an everlasting God. Although things may have seemed in her life to have no peace, no serenity, no positive outlook in life, that she can turn to an infinite loving God who would justify her and save her and turn her life around. Beloved, this is the message of the doctrine of justification that, that I, I believe firmly I believe that this doctrine of justification brings hope to the hopeless. It brings wholeness to those who have been broken. It brings redemption to the unredeemed on the basis of one idea, and that is our union with Christ. A union by which none of us deserve. So as we look at our theme, union in Christ, and as I focus the rest of my time on this idea of justification, I want to anchor our time in Romans chapter 4, in these few verses. Beloved, as I was preparing, I ran across this statement by Martin Lloyd-Jones. The doctor said this, Paul here is showing and demonstrating and asserting the certainty, the fullness, the finality 
of this great salvation. He is giving us a picture of the utter absolute security of the Christian man. Paul here in, in this text that we are about to explore together explains justification. And in his explaining justification, he ends this particular section conveying the message and understanding of our security of our justification. And I want to challenge you because I believe that this is the most riveting, transformative message that we can share. Well, let me put it this way. I believe it is the most transformative message for the hood. That's where I come from over on the north side of Flint. But this is the message that we need because there are so many within our communities that, that leave our presence they see the glee on our faces, but they have to go home to brokenness. And this idea that we are justified, that makes us glad within our soul, they don't grasp it and understand it, but we must stand flat-footed upon this message that this is the eternal hope that we want to share. Just a few years ago, as I was looking at some of the past sermons at this here conference, uh, I noticed back in 2017, Brian Evans, pastor of the 5.7 Church down in Detroit, he also preached a similar message right here from this pulpit during this particular conference on the good news of justification, where he reminded us all that Martin Luther himself the great reformer, Martin Luther, said that justification is the article by which the church stands and falls. And as a matter of fact, I want to say and I want to claim, what else does the church have to stand upon if not this article of justification by faith alone in Christ alone to the glory of God alone? What else do we have? What good news do we have to broken people if not that you can be justified, drawn unto Christ, and made whole? If not this article of the doctrine of justification. John Calvin put it this way. He would agree. He said that the doctrine of justification is the hinge upon which our religion turns. Beloved, our world and our community in which we live in today, they need to hear that upon being united with Christ, being regenerated, being, being, being united with Christ brings about a justification that brings about wholeness, and, and soon we'll hear about the sanctifying power of God unto his ultimate glorification. The theme that we have before us today ought to uh, uh, ignite our souls that we go forth proclaiming this message about being united with Christ. And I have a very, very simple outline to convey this message to you this morning. 
Simply, I want to say two things. One, that our justification is explained in our union in Christ as we look at Romans chapter 4, verses 22 through 25, and then our justification experienced in our union with Christ from Romans chapter 5, verse number 1. So, beloved, let's turn our attention again to, to Romans chapter 4, verse 22. Here again, this text and if understood rightly, as A.W. Pink would describe it, he would say, upon this union with Christ, it is a surprisingly wonderful union. And I just want to imagine he came up with this particular ideal about this union being so surprisingly wonderful because of the person who Paul uses as an example throughout the entire fourth chapter in the person of Abraham. Verse 22 again, let me remind you, says, therefore it was, it was credited or imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was credited to him was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. The therefore here in our text today, here connects what Paul was just explaining about Abraham. And if Abraham were here today, I truly believe that he would affirm the, even the five solas of the Reformation. He would, truly, he, was, he would truly believe and affirm. And sola fide, sola gratia, sola Christus, sola Deo gloria, sola scriptura. He, he would believe it because of where he came from. And, and again, read the entirety of Romans chapter 4, when you get the chance, read the entirety of Genesis chapter 12 through verse 15 to give you some background and context of what Paul is truly uh, explaining here in this particular text and why A.W. Pink said this is just a surprisingly wonderful union because Abraham did not come from the Hebrews of Hebrews like Paul. A Abraham didn't come from the tribe of Benjamin, like Paul. But Abraham was a pagan. Abraham was a wicked and righteous sinner in the eyes of God. Abraham stood in the exact same place that you and I stood before being united with Christ. Therefore, for Abraham to put his faith in this God, for Abraham to simply, on this journey from earth, to be called, and we just heard about that call. Well, he was called to follow this guy, giving nothing but a promise. He obeyed. This remarkable faith that Abraham had was a faith that was rooted in God alone. It was a faith in which he trusted in a God who could not lie. Therefore, once God offered him this promise, and, and, and I, although 
the, 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 uh, the working, per se, of the Holy Spirit, I know and I understand it is not explicitly stated back in Genesis chapter 15, but, but my God, if you look at the situation at hand, how could he just come out of his kindred, his family, as they're traveling, and just walk away from everything and turn and place his faith in this God, if not by the working and the power of the Holy Spirit? Abraham had this faith that was anchored on the promises of a faithful God. So when we rightly understand our union in Christ, our faith in God ought to reflect Abraham's faith. Abraham had a faith that was fully assured in just the promises of God. He had a faith that was firmly concreted and God alone just simply based off God giving him a word and he obeyed. And because this, the scripture says to us on today that righteousness was then therefore credited unto him. Understand, there was absolutely nothing at that point that Abraham had done that God looked at that caravan of family and goes, you, come follow me. Nothing at all. There was zero righteousness in the eyes of God when he called Abraham to follow him. Yet he calls him. And because of Abraham's faith and obedience, righteousness is credited Unto him. It's here again. Paul reaches back to Genesis chapter 15 verse 6. When he says that Abraham believed the Lord. And he credited to him righteousness. Paul does this to communicate the truth. That both our justification. And our union with Christ. Rest on faith in God alone. Credited here simply means. That righteousness was laid to or upon his account. This is why it is rightfully understood that the righteousness that was in Abraham and the righteousness that is in us who believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we would say this is an alien righteousness. Because this righteousness does not originate in us. Left alone Abraham would have just kept walking with his family in this caravan, following the lust of his flesh, the pride of his life. He would not have turned and walked away from all that he knew. But this alien righteousness, and I want to say that this alien righteousness captivated the soul of Abraham, and he turned to follow God. Beloved, if we are honest, that's exactly what happened to us. There was this righteousness of Christ that overshadowed us. We, we began to realize, again, our eyes began to open and see our sin. Our ears were finally unstopped to hearing the message of the gospel. And our hearts were turned. To follow Christ Jesus. 
Beloved, this is exactly what we see in our text today. This is our justification that we have in Christ Jesus. God did in Abraham, what God did specifically here in Abraham gives us a picture, if you will, of what God does for every single person who will turn to faith in Christ Jesus. One of the reasons why I have just simply fell in love with evangelism is for the very reason that Paul Edwards shared with us. He says that we don't have to go looking for the elect. Or, or, or Spurgeon said we don't have to go around looking for that yellow line down the back of the elect and say, oh, there go the elect. Let me share the gospel with them. No, we go forth spreading the gospel, the good news that if, if you would come and trust in Christ, he will justify you. He will save you. He will make you brand new. So therefore, I have fallen in love with evangelizing because all I have to do is just simply go forth and spread the message, proclaim the good news of God, that that which the soul is searching for, you cannot find it in this world, you cannot find it within the systems of this world, but you must turn to Christ Jesus and trust in him. This is the picture that God gets, and when we take that picture that God uses with Abraham and realizes truthfully compare it to our lives, we will see just how great of a salvation that we have. The outcome of faith with Abraham was he was justified because he put faith in God. Beloved, this is the same outcome with us. We are justified not by anything that is within us, not by works that we do, but we are justified because our faith in Christ Jesus. And then before God, by his power and his power alone, we are made right with God. In fact, the demonstration of the power of God gives us a message to proclaim to the world that this great display of power is used by people just like you and I. We don't have to have the clout of this world. We don't have to have the sway. We don't have to have that, that, that elegant speech about ourselves to communicate these truths so clearly, but say to a dying world, turn to Christ Jesus. And God, through that simple message, will put on display his power to save. This is why we see in verses 24 through 25, Paul saying that God will credit righteousness to anyone in the world today who believes in him, who, who raised up Jesus from the dead. But you have to believe it. And again, I reference back to the sermon you just heard. Just like Paul was just making the statement, why is it that some hear the exact same message but then turn and walk away? The Spirit of God has to do the work. 
The Spirit, the Spirit of God, if you will, baptizes us into Christ, whereby then we are in union with him. And it's within that union we have our justification. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is saying within this text that the same way Abraham was justified, the same way you and I are justified, and the same way if we will go and proclaim this message, this gospel, this good news unto a dying and broken world, you too can experience the same justification. Abraham was called to believe in what he had never seen before, what he had never experienced before, and likewise, we are called by the same faith to believe in a God in whom we have not seen, but he sent his son to die on Calvary that we might be redeemed. We have the very promise of God that whoever will believe in him he would turn none away. Whoever comes unto him, he would not disparage them in any way, shape, form, or fashion, but he will receive them unto himself. That is why he tells us to lift him up. And if he is lifted up, he will draw all men unto himself. Beloved, it's not within us. We, we have no righteousness apart from our union with Christ. As a matter of fact, Isaiah probably would describe it this way. Our righteousness apart from our union with Christ is nothing but filthy rags. But in Christ, our union with Christ offers us a righteousness that is alien and foreign to us that we can have securely in Christ Jesus when we place our faith and trust in him. Justification was credited. Justification is, rather, credited to us in our union with Christ. But also, justification comes to us in our union with Christ because of Calvary. Look at verse 24 one more time. Verse 24 again says about Abraham, not for Abraham alone, but also for us. And it will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. I like the deliberateness within the language of that text. Notice it. Credited to us who believe. Believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead. He was delivered up for our transgressions, our sins and iniquity. And he was raised for our justification. Now, I won't, I won't, I won't chase any, any rabbits here. But, beloved, it behooves me for those who believe that this justification that I'm talking about is for all. When the text clearly commits here, that is for all who believe in him 
which is a specific distinction that must be believed. But that's what it says. The text is deliberate to us. It ought to cause us to rejoice. It, it, it ought to cause, as the scripture says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It ought to excite our minds and hearts because in that text, although it talks about our sin, it also talked about Jesus being raised for the dead for our justification. Glory be to God for all the great things that he has done. This language signifies that through these two key figures that, that is lifted up in this text, God is exemplifying that we must believe and place our faith in him alone in order to be justified. Beloved, we have but one basket that we can put everything in. If we were in Vegas, we let it all roll on this one thing. Christ died for our sins, raised again for our justification. That alone is the basis of our union with Christ and our justification because that thereof. Paul using Abraham ought to draw our minds unto what happened to him on Mount Moriah. This is why I say Abraham would have fully uh, affirmed all the five solas of the Reformation. And let me say, even Paul, I believe he would affirm the tulip as well. All five points. He would have been right there with him. But I, I, I believe that because the experiences that Abraham faced in his life, not early on when he was initially called, but then he is sent to Mount Moriah to worship. He is sent there to go and to render a sacrifice unto his God that called him out and sent him on this journey. And it's there on Mount Moriah where he's with his son, his one and only son. And he tells those who are traveling with him, you stay here while me and the boy go up to worship and we will return. Abraham had to have this hope of Jesus' resurrection. This is where I believe why Jesus said Abraham longed to see his day because the only sacrifice he knew that he had had to be his son. So as they march quickly, as they march quickly up on Mount Moriah and they go up there and they set up the place where the sacrifice would be given and, and, and as he sells his son. He has to lay down and prepare for this sacrifice. His son asks him this uh, monumental question. And I'm, I'm going to put it in my vernacular. Dad, where the lamb is? Because I, I don't understand. Where's the lamb that's going to be slain? And Abraham responds by faith, saying, son, God will provide a lamb. And that's exactly what he did. He provided a lamb caught over in the thicket, in the bushes, 
And there they sacrificed. And I believe that it was there that Abraham began to look for the long-awaited Messiah that would come and lay down his life to all those who believe to be saved. I believe Mount Moriah pointed to Golgotha. I believe those events that took place on Golgotha were a replica, if you will, of what took place on Mount Moriah. I believe this because I want to echo the words to you, to the Apostle Peter, as he preached his sermon in Acts chapter 2. He tells them who should have known of Abraham's dealings. They should have known about what happened on Golgotha. They should have known the history by which their very faith came about. And he says to them at the end of his sermon, men of Israel, listen, this Jesus, the Nazarene, was a man pointed out to you by God with miracles, wonders, and with signs that God did among you through him. Though he was delivered up according to God's predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You lawless people, you nailed him to a cross and you killed him. But again, just like in Romans verse 24 here, but God raised him up for our justification. Beloved, this is the, the semblance that we have. Mount Moriah with Golgotha. They're believing in the sacrifice that God has provided for our sins. That our sins that separated us from our God and the only way to be reconciled back, the only way to be united with Christ is through believing and trusting in this particular sacrifice that was given for us on our behalf. This is where we place our faith in because this is where our justification is secured. The Apostle Paul here, he explicitly set forth two blessings of justification in this particular explanation about justification and our union with Christ when he roots it in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two parts. One, that our sins were expiated by the death of Christ. Oh, that's good news. That, 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 that's good news when we talk about how our sins have been expiated. Means literally that our sins have been removed, have been cleansed. First John chapter 1 verse 9 tells us to come and ask for forgiveness because he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it's all rooted in his son Christ Jesus. So not only is our sins expiated by the death of Christ, but that by his resurrection was obtained our righteousness. We have this righteousness that we have. We have this righteousness that we place our hope in all because of what Christ did on Calvary's cross. Jesus himself said that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. 
He says that he came to give himself as, as a ransom and expressly declares in 1 Timothy that Christ, Paul says, Christ was offered to bear the sins of many. And it's with this testimony, John again says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, that Christ is our, not just our expiation, but also our propitiation. So not only are our sins expitiated, meaning cleansed and removed, but also the, propiti the propitiatory aspect of our sins is also dealt with here in the atonement. It is only in this that God will forgive, that he will be appeased. Isaiah chapter 53 says that it pleased him to bruise his servant for our sins. This is why we, we end this experience of justification for our union with Christ, or rather we go into this experience in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, because of everything that Christ did on the cross. And it's within this specific atonement where we find forgiveness of sin and our union in Christ is secured. So, beloved, our justifi justification now is experienced in our union with Christ, while it is also explained in those verses from uh, verse 22 through 25. And so this last one verse of scripture, and I'm done. Our justification experienced in our union with Christ. Verse 1 Romans chapter 5 says this, Therefore, we have been declared righteous by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we have been declared. We have been justified. The gavel has been slammed down and we have been rendered justified because of our Lord Jesus Christ. We Christians then ought to enter into this peculiar privilege that we have, this loving privilege that we have because of our union with Christ. Every man and woman, boy and girl, each and every one of us has to stand before the great judge of all eternity and we will either be charged guilty or innocent. If you are outside of the union of Christ, then you have no expiation. You have no propitiation. You have no peace with the judge of all eternity. But in Christ, the verdict is rendered justified. You have the expiation of all your sins. And you have the propitiation or the satisfaction of the judge whereby you can be set free. And the Bible says that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So I want to leave you with these principles of application as I close. Praying to God that you have grasped the understanding that our justification is, is rooted. It is concreted, sealed, in Christ, 
Application point number one, attaining righteousness by grace as a gift through faith. Righteousness comes by grace through faith. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, this is not of our own, but it's a gift from God unto us. Secondly, there is nothing anyone can do to attain this righteousness other than putting their faith and trust in God, who, as the scripture said, raised Jesus from the dead. See, beloved, this is why we look to Calvary. We no longer look unto Mount Moriah. We no longer look unto Moses, where he went up to that mountain and received those commandments. We no longer look to those things, but we look unto Calvary. We look unto Calvary, for at Calvary alone brings about our justification. Calvary alone brings about the forgiveness, the expiation, the propitiation of our sins. We look to Calvary and to Calvary alone because it is there on Calvary where Christ laid down his life so that we might be set free. It is there on Calvary that our sins was laid upon Christ. No longer do we have to lay the sins of the people upon the scapegoat. No longer do we have to go through this continual practice of sacrifice. No longer but Christ suffered, bled, and died once and for all on Calvary's cross that we no longer have to look unto the law, no longer look unto those things that were in the past, but we look to Calvary because it is there that God has brought about our justification. And just like we read in John chapter 3, the great and beautiful illustration Again, an illustration from the Old Testament that for everyone who were to look up to him that was placed on high. In the Old Testament, when they were sick, there was a serpent, a serpent excuse me, that was lifted up. They said, put your faith in, look unto there, and God will bring about healing. John chapter 3 tells us that this is a description that once we get rightfully to this text in John 3.16, we truly and rightfully then understand it. But God has sent truly his only begotten son and everyone who believes in him and in him alone has salvation, has justification. And then you can experience what we will learn further in our sanctification and then in ultimately our glorious glorification. Beloved, I want to challenge you today. I don't want to take advantage of the idea that you are here. And that means that somehow, just for the simple fact that you are here today, that your soul has been regenerated. But I want to say to you, if you have not put your faith and trust in Christ alone, not in your works of righteousness that you have done, but in Christ. Everything that we have, we, we live and move and have our being in him. 
And without that great sacrifice on Calvary's cross, we have no salvation at all. Beloved, trust in him, both for your regeneration and for your justification. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord God, we thank you. We praise you. We give you all the glory and the honor. Lord, we pray that you will apply these truths that we have learned both in regeneration in glorification, in, in, uh, in justification, those truths that we will soon learn in sanctification and in glorification, apply them to us that we will leave this place going and telling a dying world about the good news of Christ our Savior. In Jesus' name, Lord, we do pray. Amen.